This is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. The church has been around for over 2,000 years, and while the expressions and methods of the church have shifted over the centuries, there are a few things that have remained the same, that have stood the test of time. One of those is the celebration of communion. And we're going to be talking about communion today and celebrating it later in the service. Communion is this time where we specifically and tangibly take a moment to remember the death of Jesus Christ, what he did for us, how he went on the cross and he he shed his blood and suffered and paid for sins so that you and I could stand forgiven and free. So communion is a time for us to remember this to reflect and to review our lives, to examine ourselves, to confess sins, to give thanks, to worship, and yes, to celebrate, because, because he rose again. He didn't only die, but he rose again. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 22. We're going to look at verse 14 to 20 to start our time together. This is Luke's account of uh, the Last Supper, which would become known as the Lord's Supper, this, this time the night before Jesus, um, the night that Jesus was betrayed before he died. And as we celebrate today and as we look at this passage, I want us to, to focus on an aspect of communion that maybe we don't uh, too often or, or maybe not even that familiar with. See, because when we celebrate communion, we remember and we proclaim that in Jesus, we are actually secure in God's family because of God's covenant promises. Luke 22, verse 14 to 20. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. New covenant in my blood. Okay, um, covenant... Blood, like, what, what, what is that about? What, what, what's going on here? What, what's a covenant? Why did Jesus mention a new one? Does that mean there's something wrong with, with an old one? Well, in order to understand covenants a little bit, we need to go back to the Old Testament and talk just about covenants in general. So some review. What, what, is, um, what is a covenant? We're going to talk about that. God, we need to understand, God is a relational being, and he created us. He created humans to be in relationship with him. And so maybe you've, you've heard this or you've said this to someone that um, God wants to have a relationship with you or that you can have a relationship with him, which is absolutely true. We see, what happened was uh, after the first sin in the Garden of Eden, this relationship between humans and God was, was broken. It was severed. And so that relationship couldn't function the way that it was intended. And so after this, God um, decided uh, to relate to people through, through covenants, 
and promises made within them. You say, what it, well, okay, well, that's a fancy word. What's a covenant? It's, a, it's an agreement, um, like a, a partnership or, or a contract. And, and you know, there, there's promises, there's stipulations, you know, terms of the agreement, all those kinds of things. And I think we, we understand this concept. Like people have made covenants with each other, companies, organizations, even nations, um, and, and all throughout history. So some of the examples of the covenants that God has made would be uh, Noah. Okay, so after the flood, God, God speaks to Noah and says, I, I'm making a covenant with you. I promise that I'm never going to flood the entire earth again with water. And here's a sign of the promise. And he put it, the rainbow, right? He says, every time you look at the rainbow, that's meant to help you remember that I will not flood the earth again. So when we see a rainbow, even still today, that's a sign of the promise. That promise still stands. God also made a covenant with Abraham. Right? He called Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a blessing. Um, you're going to have this uh, great descendants. You're going to turn into a great nation. And through you, uh, you know, you're gonna, this, your nation is going to have this land. And, and all nations and families of the earth are going to be blessed. But perhaps the covenant that we're most familiar with would be the one that God made with the nation of Israel after he rescued them from Egypt. So this is when we got Moses and we got the Ten Commandments. We got Mount Sinai, right? All that, we, I think we're familiar with that one. But it's important to understand that, that before the Exodus, God had promised to enter into this special relationship with Israel. In Exodus 6, verse 7, it says, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So you see the relationship. And the Ten Commandments were the basis of this covenant with Israel. There are also many other rules, stipulations given as well as, you know, blessings that would come if they obeyed the covenant, curses that would come if they disobeyed, uh, and Israel actually agreed to the terms of this covenant. Exodus 24 verse 3 says, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. But they didn't. They said they would but they failed. They didn't keep their end of the agreement. They broke the covenant. Actually, multiple times through their stubbornness, through their disobedience, through worshiping uh, idols. And if you read the Old Testament prophets, it's basically this running commentary of, of Israel's ability to keep the covenant or their inability and breaking of the covenant. Really, really, really important, though, for us to remember that God never once broke the covenant. He remained faithful. Israel broke it. God never did. Now, um, zoom in a little bit. We're going to look at one of these prophets, the prophet of Jeremiah, for just a second, chapter 31. And this passage, some scholars actually say that it's one of the most important passages in the entire Old Testament. It's a prophecy, it's a prediction of a new covenant, a new way that God is going to be relating with his people, one that's going to be established. So verse 31 to 34, God says through Jeremiah, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, right, he didn't, they broke, though I was a husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more." 
okay, a lot, a lot going on here, but we're breaking this down for a second. This new covenant that's promised is going to be different than the one with, with Moses and the Ten Commandments. And it's actually going to be better because it focuses on internal change rather than external obedience. Right? Charles Spurgeon has said this, the old covenant says, keep the law and you will live. The new covenant says, you shall live and I will lead you to keep my law for I will write it on your hearts. See the difference there? Conditions, obey, and then you will live. Ah, no, how about now? New covenant, you will live and you will learn how to obey. The new covenant is also going to grant forgiveness. And it, again, if you notice in there, it's going to fulfill God's promise all the way back from Exodus 6 for relationship. You will be my people. I will be your God. But how and when would this covenant be established? Now we go back to where we started. Back to Luke 22. Jesus with the 12 disciples. When Jesus says, this, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We read that and we go, okay, what's going on here? But you imagine being one of those 12 disciples around that table going, wait, 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 what? Like, really? Like, the new covenant? Like, the one that Jeremiah talked about? Like, that's happening? Like, it's starting? Like, now that's coming true? Yes. This is what Jesus was talking about. You see, Jesus didn't only institute a a ceremony or a ritual for the church to practice in order to remember his death, though he did that. He also inaugurated and established the promised new covenant with his death and resurrection. See, his sacrifice on the cross atones, pays for your sins and my sins and makes it possible now for you and me to actually enter into a relationship with God through this covenant. So now anyone... Anyone can become a, a member of God's people, part of God's very family. The book of Hebrews even goes into pretty good detail about how this new covenant works and, and how it's better than the old. Uh, one main difference is that the new covenant cannot be broken. That was the problem with the old covenant. Israel kept failing. Israel kept breaking it. But then you might say, well, well hold on, wait a minute. How am I any different than Israel? Like, I sin. I fail, I fall short no matter how hard I try. I'm tempted and I give in. So how is it that this covenant can't be broken when I sin just like they did? Well, the reason that it can't be broken is because it's not actually based on our ability to keep it. It's based on Jesus and his ability and his perfect obedience and his perfect sacrifice and his shed blood on our behalf. That's the main difference. Uh, Hebrews 9, 12, and then verse 15 says, He, that's Jesus, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, so that's old covenant language, right? They would uh, sacrifice animals to atone for sin, so not that way, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Therefore, he's the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Lots going on there. Essentially saying Jesus is our high priest now. He's our mediator, our, our representative, the one who stands in the gap between us and God. He's, he, he presents himself, himself as the grounds for our pardon and the grounds for our covenant membership. So, so we have hope, we have life, we have forgiveness, salvation, and an everlasting relationship with God himself, all because of Jesus. And so you see, when, when someone becomes a Christian, 
They're not just you know, following the teachings of Jesus that we see laid out in Scripture. They actually become um, born by the Spirit of God and, and become a member, a member of the family of God. And the, and the, and the membership that, uh, of being part of that family is securely held by this new covenant that Jesus instituted. A covenant that can't be broken because it's kept by God's unending perfect faithfulness on, on one end and Christ's perfect obedience and his faithfulness on the other. So it's like this um, you know, amazing, miraculous mystery that you have perfect faithfulness on one side, perfect faithfulness on the other side. It can't be broken. No wonder Hebrews goes on to say that this covenant is a better covenant. It can't be broken because it's God and God keeping it. And so then what's the result of, of all that? The result is that you have a redeemed people who are grateful, who glory in God's grace, who, who, who worship him, who give thanks, and, and by remembering Jesus' death and resurrection through communion. And so before we, we actually do that, I'd like to present three truths that we should remember when we celebrate communion. It's not an exhaustive list. It's not like these are the only three things that we should remember. But these three things, for sure, we should remember when we celebrate communion. The first truth is just recognizing and remembering how much we need Jesus. Like, we need Jesus. The Bible says that every person has sinned and fallen short of God's glory, his, his, his perfect standard of, of obedience and conduct. You have failed. I have failed. We've fallen short, we, we've missed the mark, we've disobeyed when we have rebelled. And, and we've done this multiple times. Like the Bible says, like, we are sinful, we are sinners. And the Bible says that, that, that the wages, the consequences for the sin is, is death. You know, so often people say, oh, I just want to get what I deserve, or, or that, that person deserves so much better. They don't deserve that. Well, biblically, what we deserve, what sinners deserve is actually death and, and, and judgment and punishment and hell because of all the things that we have done, said, and thought. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13 kind of says it this way. It says, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That, that's where we were. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Like we're lost on our own. No hope, alienated, without God. We desperately need to be rescued. We desperately need to be forgiven. We desperately need to be saved. And Jesus is the only one who can do this. He's the only one who can rescue us. The only one who can give us eternal life and bring us into God's very family. And he has he has. By his grace, he's saved us. He's made us alive. He's given us salvation. We've been brought near through his blood. And so we need to acknowledge this truth. We need to come to the end of ourselves, humble ourselves, and, 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 and see our failures, and see how much we've fallen short, and confess our sins to God. Ask Jesus, forgive me, please. And, and maybe you've never, ever done that at all. Like, Never in your life. You've never felt the weight of your sin and, and your failures. You, you've never recognized just exactly how much you need Jesus and what he has done for you. You can do that today. You can come to Jesus and you can say, Lord, forgive me. 
I need you. I've got nothing on my own. I'm lost on my own. I need you to forgive me. I need you to save me. I need you to grant me eternal life. And he will if you reach out in faith. Do that today. Do that today. You can recognize your need, but you can also experience his life-changing grace. So we need to remember how much we need Jesus. The second truth we need to remember is just how faithful God is. Like God is faithful. All throughout the scripture, you see God making promises and keeping promises. His faithfulness is just on display from page to page. He makes covenants and then he keeps covenants. He's never broken his promises. He is faithful and he's unchanging. And that, that's, that's a hard thing for us to wrap our minds around because we don't experience this. Whether it's people individually or it's a, you know, groups of people, it's, it's companies, it's organizations, it's governments, it's churches, even pastors, like they, they fail, they break their word. They're not totally faithful. So we, we have a hard time being like, what does that mean to be 100% reliable? Because everybody seems to break their word. God won't. He doesn't. And he hasn't. He's constant. He's steady. He's faithful faithful to keep the covenant forever. Revelation 21 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Um, partly because, yes, it describes this reality of, of, of heaven and, 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 and death and pain and, and suffering and sin are, are no more, but, but also because it actually describes the fulfillment of God's covenant promises that he starts Way back in Exodus 6, that's reiterated in Jeremiah 31, right? I will be your God and you will be my people. Revelation 21.3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And here it is. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. See right here? He's faithful to his promise. He's going to accomplish it. It's going to happen. We will be his people. He will be our God. Everyone else is going to let you down in some way. Many of you are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? I can testify to that. You've had several people, multiple people let you down. God never, ever will. He is faithful. And we need to remember that. And the third truth that we remember when we celebrate communion is, is how secure we are in Christ. That we're, we're secure in Christ. We tend to be a, a nervous people. We, we worry a lot. We, we value, we place highly this value of, of security. Uh, and we try to achieve it for ourselves and for our families, our friends. You know, uh, maybe we, we stash away money and, you know, in a good savings account or an RSP. You know, we, get, we get a vehicle that's five-star safety rating. You get 28 airbags and you know, all this kind of stuff. We, we get security systems and alarms for our cars and, and for our houses. We do all this kind of stuff, and we, we constantly voice our concerns. And you know, uh, we'll double-check and confirm, are you sure, are you sure, are you sure that's going to work? And what about this? And I just, I just, I just want to check. I just want to check. I just want to be sure because we, we're nervous. We, we value security, but we find it elusive. And even when we think about God, we think about heaven, we think about our relationship, same thing. We often have questions and doubts and concerns, and we're never, we tend to struggle with this being, you know, assurance and, 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 and being sure. I, I hope, you know, we say, I hope I'm going to be good enough that God will let me in. I hope I've done enough nice things or that my good deeds will uh, outweigh my bad deeds. But you see, when we put our trust in Jesus, You know what he says? 
says, I've got you. I've got you. I've got you. My, my blood says so. Like, I paid the full price to have you. I did that. You're in this family now forever because of me. Not, not because of your nice things, not because of the good things that you have done, but because of me. I died for you. I'm perfect for you. This covenant that now you're a part of, it's not going to break. I love you and I've got you. This is what Jesus does. And so often we get nervous because, oh, well, what if I continue to fail? And what if I keep sinning? First John chapter 2, 1 and 2. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. I mean, who could, who could possibly intervene for us? Who could plead our case, stand before God? One, one person. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. So you see, we don't, we don't hope in our efforts. We don't hope in, in, in our performance. We don't hope in ourselves. We don't find security or assurance in ourselves. No, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean, that means to trust, wholly lean in Jesus' name. See, if you belong to Jesus, you're secure in him. He will never let you go. And so as we prepare to celebrate communion now, let's remember these three truths. That we need Jesus. God is faithful and that we are secure in Christ, members of God's family now forever. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. You are a promise-keeping God. You're a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. You are faithful. You will never let us down. And we thank you, Jesus, that you went forward in our place, that you lived for us, you obeyed for us, you died for us, and that you were raised to life so that we could actually join your family, God. We could have this relationship with you. Our sins could be forgiven. So I pray right now for everybody who's watching, who's listening. Lord, would they examine their life? Would they confess sins if they need to so that they could truly appreciate you, truly remember what you have done for them as we celebrate communion, as we take time to look back, to remember you, your sacrifice for us, all that you have done for us. We love you, Lord, and I pray that you would help us to love you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are going to celebrate communion now together virtually. Uh, if you've got some bread or, or, or crackers and juice um, ready to go, great. Uh, if you haven't grabbed them yet, I mean, you can even press pause right now. Go, go get them. And uh, if you're going to be celebrating with, with, with family members, get them ready. Um, we're just, you know, you can just, we want to make sure that you're ready to participate I'm going to read some, uh, some scripture. Then we're, going to, we're actually going to have a song, uh, a, a song play. And I really want you to encourage you to take time during the song to reflect on the words, to reflect on your life, to examine yourself. I mean, a time to, again, uh, confess your sins. Carefully think through the words of the song and remember that Jesus suffered and died for you. He gave up his life for you. So when the song is done... Uh, we're going to remember the body 
in the blood of, of our Lord. We'll partake of the bread and then we'll um, partake of the cup, this, this new covenant that Jesus has instituted. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, the Apostle Paul says, recalling the Lord's Supper, he says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what we're doing. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. So now I invite you to prepare your heart as you watch and listen to this song.